RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. And with me today is Mike. Hello, folks. And Nathan. Roll Tide, y'all. So today, exciting stuff, we're talking about an episode that happened just a few days ago. So we're recording this on Tuesday. We played this game on Friday. So very Super fresh. Super fresh. Super fresh. Um, right out of the gate. This is the first game we played in the same room together in eight months. This was our big return to being around the same physical table after our online game. Was it different? Yes. yes. Markedly better. Like miles and miles, miles ahead playing remotely. Like just the energy alone and being able to 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 have, you know, that that eye contact to be like, are you gonna do something? Are you gonna do something? I can I can say that with my eyes at the party at the table. And I can't do that at all remotely. So, uh, yeah, that alone is a huge, huge benefit in my book. Got it. Nathan? Mike summed it up nicely. I don't have anything to add, unfortunately. <laughs> so, agree. Being able to glance around and see who's having fun and who's not was critical. Critical. And unfortunately, when, when we're playing over Skype, you know, actually, we, we, Google Hangouts is what, was what we landed on as far as the electronic method that worked best for us. And unfortunately, in Google Hangouts, everyone's faces are super small until they talk and then it gets really big. So the person talking is huge on my screen and, and the, person, the people not talking are thumbnails. And then I'm also balancing looking down at my books, my notes, my dice. So it's not as easy to glance around at the faces and take stock of who's having fun and who's not. Oh my gosh, that's so much easier around a table. So agree, table table is where we're is where we're comfortable. So we started off the session in a way. So Mike, we've been playing together since two thousand. Gosh, I can't even remember now. Can't even remember now either. Two thousand nine, I think. That sounds about right. So we have never sat down at the beginning of a session and rolled characters. Never. Nope. We've done pre-mades and one-shots. You guys have rolled characters away from the table that you brought to the table. We have never had a session zero where we roll characters together until Friday. Was that boring? No, but with a caveat, right? So I really liked being able to roll characters at the table because rolling characters in the system we were using was super-duper easy and literally took like 15 minutes like like including equipment and everything 15 minutes i remember when we made like our first fourth edition characters in the program that was built to help you make a character that still took me like an hour and a half at yeah, home a lot on of my like, own yeah in fourth edition you were like looking at feats and then going back to the feat catalog and then doing different feats and different stuff yeah for it so nathan how about you I quite enjoyed it. I think it went very well. It was just the inherent nature of the system of, you know, here roll uh, some 2d6s a few times and let's see what happens. And then, you know, align your, uh, allocate your pips properly among these six different attributes. Uh, very straightforward. Didn't know a lot of room for error and very streamlined. I quite liked it. 
I also really liked how rolling at the table using a pure roll system, you know, helped helped me inform, you know, my character and, and what he was going to be like and what his 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 traits were and how he would act and you know being able to to just have that pure random it's like okay I'm going to go with you know I rolled plus two on these two stats I got plus one here everything else was a zero so I'm kind of be lopsided <laughs> and that worked out pretty well for me I think yeah let's jump forward to another question real quick we'll come back to to, to the rolling characters but let's jump forward you rolled a character that was particularly low intelligence yep. and. I had this realization halfway through the game that when I ask an open-ended question about what the party should do, I look at Mike. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, so so the Baroness says this, and she has these concerns, and she offers you these two choices. And then I look at Mike. And, Mike, you were role-playing the hell out of your low-intelligence fighter that made bad choices. Was that on purpose? Were you doing that to, specifically to short-circuit? me treating you as the default leader of the party? I don't know if I'd say it was short-circuiting. I would definitely say I wanted to try something else, right? So new campaign, new system, completely new stuff. That was me trying to get myself out of my gamer brain, out of my cop mode, by not giving my character the ability to be perceptive and draw leads and and make conclusions that someone, you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, using a meta brain, you know, using that, that table talk to make those decisions, that was me kind of cutting that off from myself with the ability to not do so. And then I kind of wound up it by these guys are kind of used to me taking the lead. So I'm going to take the lead as this, you know, barbarian, bad decision, don't think, just say fighter and and see how long it takes for someone to kind of step up and try and put a leash on me. Did you enjoy that? I loved it. It was great. I kind of <laughs> want to play that character some more. It it it, it actually kind of took me to the uh, to the couple of games where I played uh, Meat. You know the, uh, the the character. I think I eventually handed off to Jason for the few games he played with us. But uh, I was totally triggering that Meat character I'd created a long time ago. God, I love that character. For those of you at home, Meat, his full name was what, Mike? It's like Matthias Sholden. Which was short for, or was his long for? Meat, yeah. Meat Shield. Meat Shield, oh yeah, that's right, yeah. Matthias Sholden, Meat Shield. He was he was the tank. He was the Meat Shield in front of the party. Yeah. Um, I still think Matthias Sholden is one of my favorite character names ever. To take Meat Shield and just church it up into a full character name so nathan is an outsider looking in um meaning outsider to mike being the the party leader as someone who's watched mike be the default party leader and watched me treat him that way um any thought like what, what did you think in the session and what does it feel like do you care that mike's a default party leader i mean we let him do it anyway i was i was pro content to let him kind of drag us along his whims and you know hell let's see where this goes so you were content to let the dumb fighter make dumb choices, make less than optimal choices. You weren't going to intervene. I mean, it'd probably been pretty funny. And then Chris Chris did intervene. Yep. Chris figured it out, and Chris started stepping up and taking the leadership role. Yeah, I mean, I tried to hop in a few times to you know, take leads, but Chris was definitely on fire that night as far as role play. Holy moly. Uh, we might well go back to our character creation a bit because he spun out a huge, uh, intricate uh, backstory for his character based off of 
three random names from this character pregen sheet just based off their, I think, what location they're from. And Yes, yeah, so World of Dungeons, I printed it off and I, I stapled it together like a booklet. Um, it's got, it opens up uh, one of the first pages, or one of the pages, one of the four pages, are these suggested names. And it's just a whole half sheet of names, and each name or all the names are grouped under headings. So it's like, you know, Northlands or whatever. There's all these different um, place names and no background given other than the name of the place. And just from that, as people chose names off of the sheet, Chris is like, well, you know, my character's got beef with your character because you're from this other area and, and my area doesn't like that area. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Chris was in rare form that night. I was sitting there watching the entire time. Man, it was uh, very, very uh, enthusiastic for this game. I, I wonder if the, the the simplistic nature of this system maybe freed us up a little more to focus on characters and role-playing instead of, you know, min-maxing and, and choosing things that would, you know, make it easiest for our characters. This This is really also the first time I think we've ever done an actual dice roll attribute right i think every other time it's been point by or pre-gen and i think that made a big difference too yeah for the first time your characters were not all of the same level um nathan was it you that only had one plus two i had a plus one plus three and four plus nothings that's right you had the one plus three to allocate and that was it everything else was was flat and then mike you had a fair mix yeah i had like uh two plus twos and a plus one and then Chris had five plus ones. Yeah. So the character, it, it was it was extremely varied. Which I think was good, right? Because I think in any other time, we, we'd either come in with our own min-max characters or, or it's just been, you know, uh, a pre-gen, which normally are pretty min-maxed for whatever they're trying to accomplish with that character build. So you build your characters, we start the session, and right away um, we start off, you know, cliche or not, in a tavern. And at the tavern, three young people that are in this town where you've just shown up go to start some trouble. And for me, this is a great, you know, let's get a sense of your morality in this game. Are you going to kill these three young men from this town who are just playing tough? Are you going to, you know, school them? Are you going to beat them up? But not, you know, what are you going to do? And I think even you guys had some indecisiveness about what you were going to do with these three young toughs. Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, I said these are brand new characters. Uh, I know I was certainly playing a class in, I would say archetype, but just kind of take a different methodology to my character than I usually do. I was playing a wizard. I've never played a caster in anything. Very much a barbarian kind of guy. So I just went to him and said, hey, you guys want to join us? And I kind of threw you yes, for a loop. You did throw me for a loop, and you broke the tension completely because they, they, unbeknownst to you, their backstory was they had applied for this caravan guard position, which I knew was one of the two major hooks I was going to have open for you guys. And they had been summarily dismissed because they had no experience in combat. They, they, they had no real combat abilities. So when you guys, who clearly do have that because you decided you were a mercenary company, oh, should we share your name? Can yes. we? <laughs> Why not? That's your so podcast. your mercenary company is that you guys are the chatty bitches. Chatty bitches. 
<laughs> I, I feel like that deserves a moment of backstory. So flashback in the middle of my flashback. Um, but oh well. Mike, do you want to tell the chatty bitch's story or should I? I'll, I'll let you tell it. I think you tell it better than I do. All right. Mike and I went through this period of our friendship early on where we actually lived two doors down from each other in the same apartment complex when I first started working for our company. Yep. And uh, Mike was playing an awful lot of Battlefield 2. So we had this routine where I'd show up with a couple of beers and we, um, I would drink, he would drink, we would chat about the work day and he would play Battlefield 2 and I would watch. And to Mike's credit, he managed and he's since quit smoking. But I'm telling the story yep. to say, Mike, you would be up in your gaming computer, which was an awesome gaming computer that you had just built a few months before. Yep. You're up in your gaming computer. You are juggling an alcoholic beverage, a cigarette, your yeah. mouse, your joystick, because you had a joystick for when you were in a fighter. You took that very yeah, seriously. For the jet. Yeah, for the jet. So yep. mouse, keyboard, joystick, um, as well as sometimes like a Subway sandwich as, as you're eating your dinner, <laughs> having come home from work. And then watching you juggle all that while we're talking about the workday was amazing. But one day, uh, some other – some guy on the opposing force was challenging everyone to knife fights. Hey, knife fight me, knife fight me, knife fight me. And finally, Mike did so. Um, and Mike's username – can I share your username, Mike? Yeah, go for it. One Mike G. Um, so one Mike, hey, one Mike G is the only guy on you guys' team with any balls. And we were cracking up, and I <laughs> fell in love with Game Chat thereafter. In a later subsequent separate game, some guy kept talking a whole lot of trash, talking trash, talking trash, talking trash. And then, Mike, you killstreaked him. I don't know if Battlefield 2 had killstreaks, but you killed Close him enough. a couple times Yeah, in a row. And he kept talking trash, kept talking trash. And then one of us, I can't remember which one, as we're talking back and forth about this gentleman, one of us said, ooh, 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 type, chatty bitches belong in Merc. <laughs> which is M-I-R-C for anyone familiar with with that late era of the the micro IRC channels. God, the internet relay chat. So yeah. sure enough, um, circa two thousand six, Mike types into Battlefield Two chat, "Chatty bitches belong on Merc," and dude, the chat window streamed <laughs> with LOLs. It just fills up for like ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> he this guy had been talking smack for forever during this game and then you kill street them and then you called them out with the perfect phrase god that was a great moment so the, in honor of that your current mercenary company are the chatty bitches i just gotta call out that was like the pinnacle of like my fps gaming career there has been no other single event that has topped that so i'm glad you were there for that moment <laughs> I had that story too. For a very brief period, I was extremely serious about Rainbow Six Rogue Spear, and I played it a lot. But that's a story for another podcast. We don't want too, not too much backstory in our podcast. Now, what was I in the middle of before I started telling that story? Oh man, I don't remember now. Uh oh, the toughs, um, the, the, yeah, the, tough, yeah, yeah. The, the, the the young toughs. So Nathan, you wanted them to join the party, and Chris still wanted to kill them. And Chris kind of took over. And we were talking before the show just now, and you were saying, hey, you were content to sit back and let Chris take over. Chris took us down kind of a rabbit hole with these guys. Um, the rabbit hole being... Cat uh, He wanted... Yeah, the cat ass. He wanted to convince them that they were joining up 
And then he was going, he took them out back for an initiation ceremony, which he rolled high on his charisma and convinced them was a real thing. And then he, he tattooed, you know, something vulgar on one of their faces, started the fight, killed them all. How, this was Chris's fun. This wasn't everyone else's fun. Did we, did I intervene soon enough? Did I make sure it, the, the amusement to annoyance ratio, did I manage that well? I think you did. I, I think I think with this, the actual action of it took a lot less longer than Chris trying to convince you of what he was doing, right? So I think this was this was merging onto another Goblin Plants uh, episode where Chris has this really crazy zany idea, and if it works, it's awesome. And if it fails, it fails spectacularly. And so I think when we get into those, we we probably spend a bit of time of Chris trying to explain what he wants to do and how you would adjudicate that. I think once we get beyond that and actually get to executing it, that goes pretty quickly. So the lesson learned is for me to let him do his thing sooner. I think so. Maybe right. Like, like, like get him to commit early to exactly what he wants to do, have him roll and then consequences. Got it. That's a, that's a good lesson. Sorry, yes, uh, yeah, let them do that, but as long as it's a proper means to an end, it's going to, there's a reason we're investing this time here, good ROI. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And, yep, yep. and and by the way, we're not calling Chris out, because even before the show, Nathan made the point that he himself has gone down some rabbit holes, and, and you know, we've managed the other party's, you know, amusement to annoyance ratio, while he, you know, stole the Stay Fresh gym and, you know, stood up a business around a taco cart. And we, we yeah. all we all go down our rabbit holes, and that's fine. Just look around the table and really think about the amusement to annoyance ratio. And hey, hey, real quick, I'm not going to call Chris out. I'm going to call you guys out. You didn't bring up me using that taco truck to get through that um, red exercise from a few weeks back. We completely did, dude. That's totally Yeah, we episode. did. I'm calling myself like out. First... I have a terrible memory. Okay. <laughs> Noted. You need to re-listen to that episode, sir, because we completely mentioned um, – you probably listened to the first half of the episode because the first time you flew over the wall and stole the gym, yep. the second time the taco truck came into play. Yes. So re-listen to that episode. Hmm. All right. Two major plot hooks in this session, and I did that on purpose. Um, we, we had a plot hook with Keltus, uh, who is this sort of badass necromancer that's been plaguing the town, and then Ursula. And I'm not going to get into who Ursula is just yet. Um, two major hooks. You guys bypassed one and went for the other. Do you want it? Did was that good? Do you want more than one hook? Do you want to choose between hooks? Um, talk to me about choosing the Celtus hook versus the Ursula hook. Sure. Um, we had talked uh, in a previous episode or a future episode. I'm not sure where this one's going to fall about our encounters uh, with a um, assassin and us feeling kind of, I don't say trapped, but not knowing where to exactly to do with the situation. I think having these two clear, you know, hey, it's go over here options kind of alleviates that. We can go try this one, and for some reason it doesn't really pan out. Hey, let's go see the other MacGuffin real quick. So I, I think that's good for the sake of uh, the flow of the story. So in the future, you'd recommend that I, I keep doing what I did and prep more than one hook. 
may not every single time, but it might be a bad practice. A, a good practice. Got it. Okay, fair enough. So what happens if you prep that second hook and we wind up having to try and split the party? Ooh. Um, if I don't know what I'll do then, man. I'll probably let you, but you know what I'll do? You weren't there, Mike. Brian was yep. there, but he's not on this episode. When we played uh, Terror on the Kataro at Mace last year, mm. the party got split up at one point. So what I did is I let you know, that, it take a couple turns for people that are here, and then I would they they'd get to some milestone where something happened, and I'd say ooh, and you know it bursts forth, and this happens. But before you can react. Let's check in on these people. And I kept doing this, hey, let's check in on them. Hey, let's check in on them, where I carried the momentum back and forth. And I tried to always leave it a cliffhanger. Hey, great call. Good action. You succeed. Something super interesting happens. But let's check in on this group over here. And I, I did that frequently to keep everyone engaged and kind of having their turn. That's exactly what I'll do if you get on two paths. The other thing I'll say is that what I want to work really hard to do is if you guys choose one hook over the other, the hook that you don't choose is not going to be static. It is going to be dynamic. It nice. is going to change. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn a lesson from Martin's game. And the hook you leave behind when you come back days later will be different. Sometimes harder, sometimes rarely, sometimes easier, but different in every case. I like that idea a lot that that it's not static, right? That the decisions we make and the hook we choose could have an impact on the hook we don't choose. No, yeah, yeah that sounds cool. great. We're, we're going for that. So, World of Dungeons, we fit four, four major combats. So when I say major combat, I mean like, like, like serious encounter that had consequences for the game in less than two hours of play. How is combat in World of Dungeons? I love World of Dungeons. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm I'm jazzed about this system. Um, I'm actually a little sad Brian wasn't there with us because I think he may also be jazzed about this sim system as simple as it is and just reflexive and fast and fun. I really, really, really like that the DM doesn't attack us. The monsters never really have a turn of their own. They simply just react to how we attack them and they counterattack if our attack is is not you know successful enough but even when they counterattack i'm never making attack rolls yep 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 when you attack and you incur a consequence either with a success or without that's when the monsters roll damage i only roll damage and that I, that's so much easier for me to manage i'm still a little bit undecided on the system uh like i mentioned i'm doing a caster for the first time so managing some of these more uh, esoteric bits of the character and uh, getting my rituals all up the stuff and all that fun stuff. Still getting used to it, but I do see some... Uh, it does look very promising. The magic rules... I, I, you know, I didn't have a note in the show notes for this, Nathan, but I will say the magic notes were, were very sparse in World of Dungeons. Like rituals, for example. Early on in character creation, you're like... uh it says here I can prepare rituals, but I can't find any rituals on these four pages. I assume they intend for us to create that, but, I mean, you could game the hell out. I, I really like World of Dungeons 2, Mike. I love the thief abilities, the fighter abilities, the cleric abilities. 
I think the wizard needs some additional mechanics. Hmm. I think the wizard needs some love in World of Dungeons. In fact, Nathan, I had to hand you a full-on dungeon world. So, so World of Dungeons is sort of a derivation of Dungeon World. It's very similar. It's Apocalypse World Engine. It's the 2D6 engine. Um, but it's really, really, really pared down. Nathan, I handed you the actual Dungeon World wizard playbook to give you some idea of how this should work mechanically. And I think that helped, but it sucks that everyone else gets to play this super pared down system, and now you've got this two-page character sheet that you're having to deal with. It's... Um... I think we'll be able to strike a good balance. Uh, for example, in the first fight against the uh, Tufts, I didn't actually do anything. It worked out to our advantage that we didn't have to. But, but like instruction says, you have to, you know, prepare for an hour and, you know, have all these items. A lot of fun stuff. And we we had a quick aside afterwards, and you afforded me uh, one freebie kind of a spell for what while going too deep into things. And, I think once we kind of figure out our table rules for that, that particular system, we'll see. Because like in Pathfinder in 5th edition, you're theoretically keeping track of all your individual arrows and you know spell components, all that fun stuff. We sure don't do that, and that, I think the system's better for that. So kind of figuring out how the system's going to work with our particular case, uh, once that gets kind of more settled down, I think it'll be perfectly fine. So, so two things, kind of thinking back to the ritual... Uh, thinking way, way back to our DM Scotty game at Mace, I wonder if if Ritual was kind of like what he did for the Wizards in his game and said, you get like one spell a day that's like you're super awesome. If you can convince me spell, you get it spell. I wonder I wonder if that's what that's like. I glanced through the uh, sheet Dusty had given me, and you would be correct. It's uh, to make up some wild stuff and try to sell it to someone spells. So yes, you were correct. Yeah, and and that can be really fun. It can also be game breaking. We'll have to be careful about how we play with it. I'm not afraid of it. Um, you should if, be. If anything, I'm afraid of you underutilizing it. But uh, but we'll talk about that. Remember, Mike, that DM Scotty was playing Pocket Fantasy. Oh, that's right. That's I, right. I really like Pocket Fantasy a lot. Now the DM does make attack rolls in Pocket Fantasy. Because yep. there's, there's those combat, those those opposed combat skill roles. I still want to play Pocket Fantasy. We had the idea, God, ten episodes ago or longer, that Brian was going to run us in an impromptu session. But then, you know, Brian got three kids, so he can't do that. He hasn't been able to do that. I want to run you guys through Pocket Fantasy. So I think let's play World of Dungeons again. I want to try it. I want to try Pocket Fantasy as well. I don't think we'll have the same issue that we're having in World of Dungeons. It'll suck for me because I really love not making attack rolls. I love being freed up as the GM to not have to worry about that. But in Pocket Fantasy, I think there's enough mechanics. There's more mechanics, but still really, really rules light that we won't have any issues with the wizards. The uh, the other thing I'll say about, about Nathan's wizard is that for not having a great understanding and being a little bit cloudy on how it worked, your wizard absolutely melted faces. I mean, literally melted the face of an ice giant in one shot. Uh, yeah, I glanced through enough to uh, get to where I needed to go. Uh, for the folks at home, at least my particular flavor, which doesn't have traditional spells, I have 
what are basically familiars I can summon and go attack for me. And turns out if you have one that's, you know, basically fire and a bunch of ice monsters, uh, it don't go too well for one of those parties. I'll let you guess which one. Speaking of ice monsters, speaking of, of giant snowmen come to life, we've been bearing the lead. Um, I'll just go ahead and say it. You guys, when you chose the Ursula hook, Ursula was a stand-in for? Elsa. And you were playing Frozen. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the fun for me, um, I knew you guys were going to figure out this was Frozen. I completely knew it. Um, I was looking forward to it. Part of my goal as a little mini game for myself was to carry the session as far as I could without you guys realizing it was frozen. Mike, you realized it really early on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I twit- I, I like tittered like a schoolgirl for the whole rest of the game. It's like, oh, uh, I know what that is. You kept laughing and everyone else kept not knowing what it was, but they instantly figured out as soon as you laughed the first time. They were all, they, it was just Chris and Nathan, were like, what? And then Chris was instantly like, wait a minute, are we playing? And he named some other movie, like Goonies. Are we playing Goonies? And you were like, no. Uh, nope. <laughs> Not even close, Chris. Um, so you figured it out as soon as you heard the backstory, the lore about the ice tower that, that, that was built overnight. Yep. That's, you knew instantly then. Yeah, I it knew took, instantly. Yeah. Like half an hour later, I think it was Chris, when you encountered the giant. The issue was I called him a giant snowman. God, yeah. I, w- I wish I would have called him an ice golem. Yeah, if you had called him an ice golem, he he wouldn't have gotten it, I bet. He wouldn't have gotten it. When I called him a giant snowman, Chris goes, wait a minute. Are we playing Frozen? <laughs> <laughs> and you just died laughing and you went, yes. Yeah. Oh, that was a great moment. God, I wish I'd said ice golem instead of snowman. Anyway, um, we're playing Frozen. We were playing Frozen. Nathan groaned several times. Mike, the the moment of the game, aside from Chris saying, wait a minute, are we playing Frozen? The other moment of the game was your speech to Ursula slash Elsa at the end. Do you want to give us a rendition of that? Yep. So uh, kind of preface that one of the one of the things. So when I built my character, you know, fighter, I did uh, I did a, a plus two con, plus two strength. And plus one charisma, right? Just as kind of a throw off because I wanted my character to be, you know, the big, stupid, gruff, but with a little soft side kind of warrior thing. So so I think I said at some point in the game, you know, kind of like Ludo from Labyrinth or something like that, you know, just that archetype. So again, stealing for movies. Um, so earlier in the game, I had done a, a scenario where where the, the other princess, the not queen, she had like jumped up on a a card or something because she was scared of whatever we were being attacked by. And the you know, at the end of that yeah. encounter, yeah, the skeletons, I wanted to offer her my hand and help her down in a, you know, a kind, caring way and succeeded on the charisma roll there. Right. So I knew I had a pretty good chance to succeed on another charisma roll since I had plus one. So when you had us encounter Ursula, you know, she was she was all angry and wrathful and vengeful, and and she was definitely a little darker than you know actual Elsa from Frozen. So there was there's a little bit of a threat there, but I uh, I just went ahead and went for it and said you know in in my in my brag on voice, which I'm not going to do, but in my brag on voice I said you know this this pain you feel inside you just have to let it go, and I started singing, and then I made my charisma roll, 
and it and it worked. That groan, you, those of you at home, just heard from Nathan. <laughs> I think at the time, Nathan, it was a oh god damn it. <laughs> Is that accurate? I'm gonna lock my dang door next time y'all come over. <laughs> <laughs> I I, w- I want to know did did your wife have anything to say after that game? I think she was mercifully listening to something else. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good. My wife had a lot of things to say. I bet she did. Mike, I didn't tell you this, Mike, but I came home and Margo and Susan were like, how'd it go? And I was like, it went great. They played Frozen. And Margo's like, what? And I told the whole story. And Margo and Susan were both on like pins and needles, like edge of their seat, listening to me recount the game. And Mike, I'll do the brag on voice. When I did my impersonation of you going... This pain you feel inside, you must let it go. <laughs> let it go. Oh, they were both dying. Like, Margot has this really genuine laugh that she does. This really, it's not a giggle. It's not a huh. Uh, it's this genuine, she's tickled and she can't hide it laugh. And I got to hear that laugh when I, when I did your voice saying, you must let it go. So, That's awesome. That good makes stuff. me happy. I, I loved that moment. Um, having said that, I don't want to be a one-trick pony, so our next games will not be based on anything obvious. I'm not going to play that mini game again for quite some time. So all in all, it sounds like we want to play World of Dungeons again. Nathan and I have the same concerns about the wizard. We'll try to figure that out. So one more session at least, guys, of World of Dungeons? Sure, yes. I think so, yeah. These same characters? Certainly. Absolutely. And remember that we're doing, we're trying to play a bunch of systems because what we're really doing, and we haven't mentioned it for a couple shows, we've got to choose a system for our actual play. Yep. So World of Dungeons slash Dungeon World is a candidate. The narrative game system is a candidate. I'll put forward Pocket Fantasy as a candidate. And maybe even the index card RPG as a candidate. So I want to do a bunch of sessions in these other systems and find a candidate and really choose something that we have a passion for when we go to do the actual play. Very cool. So lessons learned here. Hey, a rules light system can be a lot of fun. Um, Again, be an interventionist GM. Watch the amusement versus annoyance ratio. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Steal. Steal from movies. Steal the setup. Um, have fun. I, I really enjoyed role-playing Ursula. I really played it up. And it was based in part on on Elsa from Frozen. And just the vision of her and how she might act and her in a bad mood, it let me inhabit that character very quickly. Um, did, did I do okay with that, guys? Was that I, I played a lot of characters. I played Frida. I played Ursula. I played the Tavern Keep. I described Celtis. There was a lot of role play for me. Was that all right? I think you did great. I uh, I think you also did a really good job capturing Frida and the concern she had in the in the whole situation. Right? She she knew she needed to do something to help her sister, but she didn't want to hurt her sister, and that that came through in spades. So I've said it before. I've said it again. Steal your characters that way. It it just makes improv so easy. And uh, I think I'll, I'll leave it there. This was RPG Lessons Learned. Thank you for listening. 
People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.